Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Daniel 3 Podcast. I am Jacob Daniel, uh, your host. This is episode 88, which um, I've done twice now because the last episode I did, I mistakenly thought was 88, and so that's what I <laughs> said when I entered that. But that was 87, and this is actually episode 88. So um, thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Wow. I'm a professional podcaster. I, I speak I speak good. Thanks, Thank you all for uh, joining tonight. Um, have a lot of stuff I want to talk about and get into, and you know, hopefully we can get into some good interaction in the, the chat if you guys have any questions or things you want to talk about. Sorry for starting a bit late. I got uh, in, invited to jump on to Reed's stream for a little bit before I went on mine, and uh, um, as I was getting ready to hop off and do this, they started playing campaign ads to me of uh, like Ron DeSantis and Fetterman and just, uh, you know, thoroughly depressed me before coming on here because I was like, you know what, there's no hope. Uh, you know, everyone needs to go to New Hampshire, which is like the libertarian arc that's going to save us from the flood that's coming. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Yeah, episode 88. This is just going to be like a sort of uh, at the top of the episode, I'm just going to go into some updates and some things going on. And then uh, we'll just kind of talk about things that are going on, some current events and uh, chat with you guys in the comments. If you want to uh, throw me any questions or anything like that, uh, we'll get into whatever you guys want to get into. Um, as for announcements and things going on with the channel... Um, I do have a big announcement coming up that I'm been kind of teasing. If you guys have been watching over the last few episodes, I've, I've brought it up a couple times. Well, uh, that announcement is going to drop this week. Um, so Friday I'm going to be on the 300th episode celebration of the Libertarian Christian Institute's podcast. And basically the announcement is going to uh, be talked about during that podcast and also um, I'm going to do a live stream on this channel after that podcast as well. But it's something that I'm doing, uh, you know, kind of an announcement that obviously has something to do with the Libertarian Christian Institute. So, uh, you know, definitely tune in to that live stream and to uh, or, you know, and or to this stream after that live stream. Um, and I'll have the link in the description of this episode once um, once it's already streamed. Um, and I'll be um, promoting it and stuff this week, uh, including and up to the day of. So I'm excited for what uh, to, to be on that episode with LCI um, and also for what we have in the works. So uh, stay tuned. I think you guys are going to really like it. And um uh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, working to keep bringing the good news of, uh, you know, the, of Christ and the gospel and Christianity and, uh, how being a good Christian means that, uh, we should, I don't know, not bomb people and not take their stuff and, <laughs> you know, ra ra a radical, a radical message of, you know, maybe loving your neighbor and loving your enemy is perhaps a little bit incompatible with you know modern day statism so uh excited for all that uh that's pretty much it um so as for what i wanted to talk about tonight you know, the, the only thing i really wanted to chime in on and then we can get into uh legitimate questions unlike you know i see someone's posted a 
uh, <laughs> uh, Caleb from Austro uh, uh, Tomism. Why are you? Why are you cringe? Insert Uno reverse card here. Uh, no, you. Um, the wife, wife and kids are good. Uh, my wife had a bit of a, a health uh, scare this past month, and she's still uh, going through some stuff in terms of trying to get completely better. But um, she was in and out of the hospital for a while. She's doing a lot better now. Um, but it's just you know a little bit of a longer road to to full recovery, and so prayers and stuff for her um, and her family are definitely appreciated. Uh, it's been it's been a crazy year for us between uh um i had a job change at the beginning of the year and then we had our fourth child um and then this recent scare with her health and whatnot it's been uh, a lot of different challenges and things going on but uh you know we we continue to praise god and, and have faith through all of it because there are in the midst of all the chaos of the world and in the midst of uh the hardships that we've been going through we see god at work and we can see uh, his, his, uh, his, his grace and his provision at work through all the hardships. So, um, it's been, um, it's been, the experiences of the past year have been hard, but they've been like good in a sense that like they've really bolstered our faith and, and strengthened our, our, our bond and, and, you know, helping our family to grow. So, but I appreciate, uh, everyone's prayers and support, um, as we continue to move past that. Um, I will, I talk like such a pro, I, I am a pro, oh my gosh. Um, all right. I, I I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about first and then I'll continue responding to, uh, Caleb's, uh, <laughs> questions in the, uh, in the chat. So I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, big hubbub over Twitter the past, uh, uh, week or two with Dave Smith and other libertarians, endorsing Blake Masters in Arizona, um, including then uh, the Libertarian candidate Mark Victor dropping out of the race to endorse Blake Masters. And, you know, we can get into the specifics of that, but I also just wanted to talk about just more broadly in general, just like the, the, the sort of like the, the divide that I see between the camps, which isn't even just so much about the specifics of this one race um, in Arizona, but just in general, kind of like what is the uh, um, what is the purpose of any political action if you're libertarian minded, and what is the purpose of the Libertarian Party? You know what what was the Mises Caucus takeover about, and was that a good thing or a bad thing, and you know, has the Mises Caucus betrayed the things that it ran on? Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of things being said by a whole lot of different people from from all sorts of different camps. And it it's a lot to try to unpack, but I'm going to try to do so, at least from, from my vantage point. Um, for those of you who don't know, you know, I've been a member of the Mises Caucus for a pretty long time, uh, you know, not not since the very beginning, but since about 20, uh, like, like late 2018, early 2019, I got more, more active and involved in 2020, um, you know, joined my local state and county party, uh, became a state organizer uh, for the Mises Caucus here in Pennsylvania. And the reason why 
I joined the Mises Caucus was because I kind of, so when I became a libertarian and then, you know, became, uh, you know, a persuaded of anarchism as being like the purest, you know, form, the correct, you know, natural evolution of libertarian thought, you know, and I was in the process of connecting that to my Christian faith, which would lead to this podcast and everything. But initially when I became an anarchist, I was, I was very much in the like anti-political, uh, you know, anti-political action camp of, uh, you know, anarchists and Christian anarchists specifically. And I felt like, and even if there there was some kind of argument to get involved in politics, that the Libertarian Party was a joke and doing anything within it was, you know, just a waste of time. The only decent politician that I could think of uh, in my lifetime who did any measure of good from within the political system was Ron Paul. He did that from within the Republican Party. And so, and that was, you know, I got dragged to a libertarian convention back in 2018 by a friend of mine who was a member of the caucus and that was when I, I met Michael Heiss who's the chair for the first time and basically my friend was like uh you know hey you know you know Michael this is Jacob and uh you know he's a libertarian he's an ANCAP and all that but you know he he's uh not really down with this whole libertarian party and party politics thing and Michael asked for my reasons and we got into an exchange and uh, had a little bit of back and forth. Um, and, you know, I remember that exchange where we ended up was him kind of explaining the three-pronged strategy of the Mises Caucus. You know, I think before it was formally called that, but just, you know, local action, nullification, uh, you know, reprioritizing the messaging and all that and trying to, you know, not, not trying to, like, vote our way to freedom, but rather to use the political apparatus that has our namesake on it to achieve the utmost good by uh, trying to wake more people up and trying to uh, do as much damage control as is possible um, and promoting more, you know, you know, self-sovereignty in, you know, the local municipal level governments. And I was like, well, that's all well and good, but, you know, uh, why do we have to do that within the LP or within the LP exclusively? Like, you know, Ron Paul did that within the Republican Party. So, like, why don't you do that? And Mike's response was, well, yeah, that's <laughs> he was like, you know, we're, he's not against somebody who wants to go into the Republican Party and try to do what Ron Paul did. Um, you know, it, it just, you know, we're, we we want to take advantage of doing it within the Libertarian Party and to, to reach people that perhaps can be reached there that can't be reached in the Republican Party um, or who won't be reached by just podcasts or, you know, think tanks alone because some people only pay attention to politics um, or, or more likely to pay attention to someone if they're coming from that uh, space as opposed to if they're just, you know, putting something out there detached from it. So... I don't know, you know, how everyone else came to people who came to the Libertarian Party, people who, uh, if you're a member of the Mises Caucus, how you came to the Mises Caucus. But my introduction to it was with that background, which was which, with the idea that, you know, obviously the, the two party system is corrupt. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of problems with the Republican Party, um, which, you know, were very evident during the Ron Paul runs, but that 
there wasn't anything fundamentally uh, evil or, you know, not worth pursuing about maybe some people trying to go and still do some kind of measure of good within the, you know, Republican Party or heck, even within the Democrat Party, you know, um, you know, it's it's not completely unfeasible in my mind to think that, you know, uh, someone could try to do that. You know, I mean, I think Tulsi Gabbard was maybe the best example of someone trying to do that. And obviously Tulsi is kind of a mixed bag of, of, of good and bad. But, you know, I didn't join the party and a lot of the Mises Caucus people didn't join the party in the caucus uh, to be what I would call like party justice warriors where, you know, we put the party first and all the efforts that we go into are to make the party successful and to win as many elections for the party and, to, you know, increase all the accolades and stuff. And it's like that's that's that was never really what the rallying cry of 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 the Mises caucus was. It was always to put the principles above the party. And I'm I'm not saying that like the primary message that the Mises caucus ran on was to, you know, not run against Liberty Republicans, but that was definitely something that came up from time to time when people would bring up Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash uh, before he became a libertarian, when he's when he switched parties and all that, so you know, I I don't. I, it seems to me like some people are acting like they're they're shell shocked by the idea of uh, there being exceptions to supporting the LP candidate or running an LP candidate, and I I don't know. I mean, I, I can't speak to what those people saw or didn't. See or didn't see, and you know what people they talked to, but you know the the idea that we should put the party first uh, above all else, and the idea that the best use of party resources is to just sort of run a candidate in every race possible, sort of in an uncritical, you know, sort of like unthinking blanket strategy is. Well, that's kind of what the party has been doing for, what, 50 years since its founding? And if the Mises Caucus was like, hey, we're going to take over and change the messaging a little bit but play the same exact playbook, I don't know if that would have been a really compelling reason to take over a party. Um, you know, there, there, there was so many reasons why the Mises Caucus wanted to take over and have a strong influence over what the party did. And, it, it, you know, it's not at any one level that it was the most important. It was kind of like they were all equally important. Yes, the messaging needed changed. Um, but also the way we used our resources needed to be changed. Our strategy needed to change. And where we focus on needed to change. And, you know, one thing that I think cannot be understated or can't be, con you know, I don't think anyone could claim they were confused about is that the Mises Caucus was always about promoting decentralization and localism first, and primarily a focus on local candidates, you know, uh, sheriff, uh, city councilor, uh, mayor, you know, positions that can nullify or be in a position to push for nullification. Um, you know, we don't necessarily care that much about, like, uh, 
le- lesser positions like, um, you know, maybe treasurer is kind of a gray area, but like inspector of elections or, um, you know, dog catcher or, you know, the, the common joke, you know, but the focus was always more on, you know, local local politics and especially positions that are, you know, going to have some teeth in terms of pushing a decentralization and nullification uh, policy agenda. And the utility of using the Libertarian Party was always that it allows us to do issue coalitions where we're not forced to only work with one camp or one group, but rather we can work with the the more left-leaning, more democratic-associated groups on the issues that make sense, uh, that they care about. So that's like drug decriminalization, um, it used to be anti-war measures that doesn't seem to be as prevalent on the left as it used to be. Certainly not as much as when I was on the left, but, you know, that's that, that's a conversation for another time. Um, but a criminal justice reform, you know, those are kind of things that, that traditionally, and even today, I think, to a, a large extent, um, there's more left-wing support for. And the groups, like the, the issue-based groups, uh, that are out there pushing those kinds of policies and, and, and messaging tend to be more associated with the Democratic Party or d- at least, you know, have an explicit left-wing bias. And then you have things like the Second Amendment and things like... Um, uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to think of another one that's a, a right-wing issue. It's nothing's coming to mind at the moment. But, but I think you guys get my point. You know, th- there are some issues that are more on the left, some issues that are more on the right and you know, maybe there's some things that, that fall in the mushy middle but the nice thing about working within the libertarian party and having the caucus being associated with the party is that it removes that sort of like partisan bias that would maybe be a hindrance to doing those kind of issue-based coalitions that allow for nullification and decentralization efforts at the local level to be pushed so you know, that's why it was always a three-pronged strategy where the first prong was intra-party action that we were doing to reform the party into the vision of localism and local candidates through the means of issue-based coalitions. That's basically what the Mises Caucus strategy was. And, I mean, I, I've given a very detailed version of this many times on onboarding calls and also on various podcasts and uh, Twitter, Facebook, etc., and it's on the website and stuff. And it's stuff, stuff that you've heard Mike talk about, heard Angela talk about, heard, heard Dave Smith talk about. Um, you know, anyone associated with the caucus generally is in some way or, way or form, even if they don't call it the three-pronged strategy, they're, they're, they're pushing the three-pronged strategy. So, you know, I, I think it's fair to point out that it's not like there's an overwhelming number of endorsements going out for Republicans or a, a, a overwhelming number of of races where there's a Republican running and people are not running a libertarian or screaming to not run a libertarian or where libertarians are dropping out of the race to endorse a Republican. Like really the only two races of note of note are uh Hector in Florida running against DeSantis, which some have criticized him for doing, including people like Dave Smith, um, myself included, 
Um, although I've become a bit more lukewarm in that criticism as of late because I've just become a bit more lukewarm on DeSantis. Um, and then you have this more, more recent thing in, in Arizona. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, anyone watching, but I really can't think of any other instances right now in this election cycle where, you know, I mean, the caucus, first of all, as far as I know, hasn't endorsed any Republicans. It's been prominent members within the caucus have endorsed, you know, these two Republicans and have just pushed for the idea of not running against either Liberty Republicans like a Massey or Amash or Rand Paul, or at least not running against Republicans who are, you know, a couple steps above the rest of the GOP establishment. And anyone I've talked to has ad admitted that this would be a principle that would equally apply to the Democratic Party if such decent candidates existed, but really none do. I mean, again, Tulsi was kind of sort of an exception, but not anymore because she's now, uh, you know, se seemingly like, you know, not joining the GOP, but going around and endorsing all the GOP candidates. So I don't know. It's that thing's kind of like a uh, a whole other mess that I, I don't want to talk about right now. But so sorry, let me take a drink. So, yeah, I don't. I mean, if people are having buyer's remorse because like now they're realizing this is the strategy that the Mises caucus was pushing and they're like going, well, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. It's like, OK, fine. You don't agree with it. You don't like it. We, it's, it's not like we were hiding it. It's not like, you know, it's also not the same as what the detractors are saying it is, which is that we're a bunch of GOP infiltrators and we're trying to sabotage the LP to bolster the GOP. It's like, well, I mean, that's silly. It's silly. And there's only two examples that they can point to to even try to make this claim. Um, you know, and some people have criticized because some of the candidates run in certain states like mine in Pennsylvania were ex-GOP members who uh, kind of defected over here. But I'm just like, okay, well, I have my own opinions about some of those decisions that happened here. But whether or not those were good decisions or not, it's a little bit like the kettle calling the uh, the pot calling the kettle black when it's like, oh, you guys have some candidates who are GOP defectors. It's like, wow, well, the LP certainly has never done that before. <laughs> you know, G Gary Johnson, Bill Weld, Bob Barr. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, even if Justin Amash ever got the endorsement, he would be t technically a Republican uh, party to Libertarian Party, you know, um, uh, defector. Most of us weren't born libertarians. We were something else, and then we became this. So, I mean, the ire against guys like Bill Weld and Gary Johnson was never because they used to be something else. It was because they came over here and didn't change anything about who they were. And I would say a lot of the candidates this year around, although I think they, in some cases, didn't run the best campaigns, or maybe on some issues I don't find them to be to my liking to say that they haven't changed uh, from when they were part of the GOP and that they're not libertarians at all is really an unfounded criticism. Um, 
you know, like in my state specifically, uh, like um, uh, Matt Hackenberg and e- Eric and um, the uh, th- there's one more I'm forgetting the name of who who were uh, ex Republicans. It's just like yeah, but if you talk to them today, even if you can nitpick around the edges to compare them to your average Republican today, and and say there's no difference is is just to be disingenuous. So I don't. Uh, I, I don't think that, that that's fair. I don't think that there's really any weight to the argument that the Mises Caucus is just some kind of, you know, secret plot to bolster the Republican Party and to support Trump and endorse Trump. I mean, like, it, it's like, uh, you know, it, nuance is required here. Like, there are a small number of specific Republicans who some people in the caucus and party have said we shouldn't run against. There's a whole litany of other Republicans who we have been like, no, we should run against. And also, if we're going to go just straight to the the end conclusion, which some people make, which is like, oh, well, what about Trump? It's like, um, one of the main reasons I'm like all in on Dave Smith 2024 is because the idea that Dave would be running against like Donald Trump and whatever uh, crapshoot candidate ends up being the on the Democratic ticket, um, that's gonna be fantastic. No matter who Dave's running mate is, um, you know what I mean. Like I am all in for that. Like you know, I mean the idea that Dave would get on the debate stage is you know just not likely. But just to have him like in the media. Being able to like be like, I'm running for president, and here are my direct, you know, different. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. References and attacks against Donald Trump and, you know, the Democratic candidate. Um, I'm all for that. I think that Donald, I think that Dave's going to, you know, as he already does, rip Trump apart, but rip, rip apart for like actual, legitimate, factual reasons, not like all the weird witch hunts that the, the that the Democrats threw at him when he was in office, which a lot of Trump supporters, they've only ever seen that. They've only ever seen the the Russia gate. They've only ever seen the, oh, he's a racist and a sexist and a, you know, all that. But they haven't seen people, you know, go after Trump on like actual principled grounds like, hey, uh, he was terrible on gun rights. Hey, he he didn't start any new wars, but he, you know, kept the old ones going and he certainly flirted with wars you know, like with Iran, um, and, uh, you know, he, he 
could have pardoned Snowden and he and he didn't. Like there's there's so many things that that you can uh um that you can point to and attack Trump on a principled basis that a guy like, you know, Dave Smith is going to be able to do. But Donald Trump um even if in some ways I appreciate what his what his presidency stood for, I only appreciate it in the sense that like he exposed the media and the system for the sham that it is <laughs> not because I think Donald Trump is a great person or a great political thinker or a libertarian or anything silly like that. Um, you know, I, I, I appreciate the role he played in getting more people today than before him to understand that, that, that Washington DC doesn't have their interests in, at heart and that, uh, putting their faith in politicians and especially the president um, is, you know, a, just a just a losing game to play. So, it, you know, I think that if you're going to take an honest look at the Mises Caucus and LP strategy to say that it's all being done to bolster Republicans and support Trump, it's like, no, there's, there's specific Republicans who we are wary against running against. I am way more on board with not running against Blake Masters than I am at Ron DeSantis at this point. I'm I'm kind of, you know, undecided still on how I feel about Ron. Um, you know, but I, I tend to think he's more of a cultural figure and an important bulwark against like the left. But that doesn't mean that he wouldn't be an equally bad authoritarian of his own if he ever got more power. And the kind of like the I don't know, this weird sort of like apologetics and mythology that's built up around Ron, like he can do no wrong, just, I don't know, kind of starts to bug me a little bit. It's like I, I, people are so ideologically driven. And that, that kind of gets me to how I want to wrap this up, which is if, if there's any kind of binding principle here, which is a guiding libertarian principle too, that we need to be keeping in mind, it's the pitfall that we need to avoid of ideological possession. And that is something that definitely is in the minds of the leaders of the Mises caucus. I know because I know the leaders and uh, it's something that, that Michael Heiss especially is, is, is concerned about is that we don't become, you know, ideologues and just, you know, exist in echo chambers and, uh, and not deal with reality and only, try to make reality conform to our ideology like this is this is why as much uh, why even though i have disagreements uh with someone like uh pete quinones when he says don't live in encapistan in your head he's 100 percent right um and i think to that end there's a lot of people within the lp who are living in the libertarian party is competitive with the duopoly in their head um, like, no, we're not there yet. We're especially not there yet if we keep playing the game by their terms in the way the LP is doing, has been doing for the past 50 years. But if we play the game a different way, we actually can do some impressive things. Um, and I think that the whole Blake Master situation is an interesting one because, uh, you know, their campaign reached out to the libertarian guy, to Mark, 
because they kind of like looked at the facts and went, you know what, the LP candidates covering the spread in the polling of how, what we're you know what we're behind and more and and more than that. And if Blake wins tomorrow, a lot of that can be accredited to the fact that the Republican candidate had to cater to the Libertarian candidate. And then I don't think that was handled perfectly, but I think that's an interesting precedent that is way more something to celebrate that it is something to mock or shame. Again, I'm here for liberty, and I'm here for pushing the ideas and the principles, and I, I, I care about the party, but the party can't come first. And we can't just be ideologically possessed by this sort of like party justice warrior mindset where it's just like everything is for the good of the party because we have to be more sophisticated than that. We have to treat each race that's going on in each state each year as sort of like its own thing and make evaluations based upon the facts on the ground. And we have to think about, you know, the differences of the priorities and the goals for local races versus statewide races versus federal races. And those all have different... Uh, dynamics at play you know like you know some of them are more about trying to win to affect policy like the local races then you have the federal races which are like well those are all about messaging (laughs) then the statewide races are in this weird middle ground and the statewide races were never a focus of the caucus we wanted you know focused on we were going to focus entirely on local elections and the presidential election mainly for the uh, the messaging opportunity the statewide elections aren't our focus, so that doesn't mean we don't have opinions on them. And, you know, those are kind of a case-by-case basis. And we should wield whatever power we have based upon, you know, who we're running against, the laws of that state, ballot access is a factor, but it's not the only factor. And, um, listen, mistakes are going to be made, but we learn from them and we move on. And, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people are, you know, and, you know, this is what you see on Twitter. People are way more interested in in fighting and picking sides and attacking people than they are in, you know, trying to work towards liberty. And if they don't like the way someone else is doing it in, in their state or with their platform, then go do your own thing in your state with your platform. No one's stopping you. Um, and I think... We need people doing different things because we're all going to reach different people and we're all going to specialize in the market in our own particular ways. And, you know, this is also a Christian metaphor with the body of Christ. It's like, you know, it's like the hand going to the foot and criticizing the foot for walking instead of holding things. It's like, well, no, we we serve different purposes. We're in different areas of influence and we got to be good teammates and focus way more on where we agree and on uh, making our efforts synchronize and harmonize rather than, you know, focusing on our disagreements and on fighting. So, I don't know, that's, that's my basic sentiment and reaction to this whole thing, this whole saga that's unfolded over the, the last couple of weeks or, or months or whatever. So, curious what you guys think, if you have anything to add to that um 
you know, I, I can I can riff on this for a bit more um, if you if you guys want, or if anyone else watching has any other questions or things they want to say, you know, certainly I can um, respond to that. I know Caleb isn't here anymore. He he asked a question. He said, "Excuse me, my voice is <clears throat> cracking here for some reason." He said, "You say love, but what does love mean? Define love." Hmm. Uh, I think First Corinthians thirteen is a good starting point. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not quick to boast. Love rejoices in righteousness and the truth, and not in wrongdoing and sin. You know, love isn't this thing that the world talks about which is like this kind of like just i think the world uses the word love to just mean like nice feelings and like you know like a passion for somebody or like a desire for good for somebody but in like a generic sense like where it's like i think like the the earth like the secular version of love is um the secular version of love is only sort of like focused on the affirmation part and on the parts where it's like about feeling good and kumbaya and everyone gets along. But, you know, love isn't just those things. Those things, you know, are definitely part of what love is. But love is also, you know, going to your friend and telling them, um, hey, what you're doing is hurting you and hurting the people around you. And um, because I love you, I am telling you this and, you know, exhorting you to 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 stop and to change and to repent and uh, to, to to right your wrongs. Um, that's also loving. Just as like, you know, a, a parent to their child, um, you know, t- telling their child like, no, I, <laughs> I, I won't let you eat candy every night before bed and not brush your teeth. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's, you know, sometimes saying no and sometimes being critical and sometimes even challenging and calling out and uh even even in a somewhat combative way those all can those those can all be acts of love um i even have made the argument before that i think like shooting someone in self-defense can be still in the right context described as an act of love to your enemy because it's it's better for your enemy that you prevent them from continuing to spread evil and harm to other people than it is to, you know, allow them to to do that unabated. Like, it's better for their well-being. Like, you know, let me me set up a hypothetical here. Um, I see somebody is pulling out a gun and and starting to, you know, open fire on people. And let's say he hasn't hit anybody yet. And I have the opportunity to stop him. But my best chance of stopping him and preventing innocent people who haven't done anything wrong from being killed is to pull out my firearm and use it in a self, you know, a a a, in a measure of self-defense against the person who's doing the shooting. Well, then you know, let's say, let's say I, I I'm trying not to use like trigger words here that are going to get me banned off YouTube. Well, let's say I do that and then. Uh, the, I, I down the person. Well, then I go and I, I try to, you know, re- restrain him and make sure he's incapacitated. But, you know, hopefully, you know, as a Christian, I'm trying to not actually let him die, get, help him seek 
you know, get him medical attention so that he can survive from his wounds, if at all possible, and have the chance to repent, to have Christ work in his life, to pay restitution to any victims that he caused, um, to um, not have as much stain of evil attributed to his soul as otherwise would have been. So that can be an act of love. Now, I think the the line uh, where it crosses over from love into hate is when if I were to do that action not out of love for my neighbor and love for my enemy to try to prevent him from from harming people, and instead it was like an act of hate and malice and I was trying to seek vengeance, you know, um, that becomes less of an act of love. So... But yeah, so love isn't just affirming and love isn't just, um, you know, like when Jesus was flipping tables and fashioning whips, he was still acting in love. Um, you know, it, it, there, there's there, there's definitely a need to stand on a biblical definition and a biblically based understanding of things like love just as much as it, you need to do that with things like authority and governance and uh, and sin, you know, we need to base these things in the scriptures and in what the Bible says and how the Bible def- and how God's word in the Bible defines these terms, and not on our, our own intuitions or our own feelings um, a- alone, because um, th- we tend to get into trouble because, um, well, we're not God, and so um, we'll, we'll tend to create a version of God and a version of those godly things like love and authority that looks more like what looks like us, looks more like what um, makes us feel good and less about what is uh, objectively true. So if Caleb comes back and, and, and watches this, he'll get his answer there. If not, uh, well, hopefully the rest of you enjoyed that. Um, don't have any questions in the comments, so... Um, I could wrap this up. Um, uh, probably will go over another like five minutes. Um, I think I might go on like I did a, a couple live streams ago. I think I'll take this opportunity to go on to the Twitter feed and maybe just go back over some interactions that I've had that maybe I want to expound upon a little bit more. Um, let's see. These are just announcements about the podcast. Oh yeah, people are down on Jordan Peterson or something. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to get into that a little bit. Um, but it seems to be about him not being totally, you know, professing God as in the more evangelical or maybe Catholic way, which, I mean, you know, Peterson's way closer to that orthodox mystic, you know, kind of like mysticism and, and you know, it, bit more in that realm uh as he's flirting with christianity than he is in an evangelical realm so i mean i'm not saying i always agree with him in the way he talks about god and christianity but i i don't i don't see a need to be majorly disappointed in him i see a need to want to pray for him and continue to pray that god would draw him towards uh the truth and towards him it seems to have happened with his wife and his daughter so i'm optimistic that uh, God will continue to uh, 
uh, work on Peterson's heart as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, why can't I make this go away? Don't promote. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, I like I like so going back to what I was talking about earlier, the whole like the Mises caucus is a Republican uh, plot, which is so silly. Well, the Libertarian Mises Caucus Twitter uh, yesterday shared this this meme that they made, and it was like "Anarchy versus Statism" by Robert Higgs. And I think this is pretty good. Sorry, I'm <sighs> throat is just really dry. You can probably hear in my voice; it's like super like rough and kind of cracky right now. Um, so yeah, Anarchy versus Statism by Robert Higgs in debates between anarchists, and this is all part of a meme here, um, in, in debates between anarchists and statists, the burden of proof clearly should rest on those who place their trust in the state. Anarchy's mayhem is wholly conjectural. The state's mayhem is undeniably factually horrendous. And then there's like a list of bullets here. Anarchists did not try to carry out genocide against the Armenians in Turkey. Anarchists did not deliberately starve millions of Ukrainians. Anarchists did not create a system of death camps to kill Jews, gypsies, and Slavs in Europe. Wait, 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 hold on. I thought the Mises Caucus was a bunch of Holocaust deniers. Again, just deranged... Deranged... Propaganda is not even a... That's too... That's too charitable of a term. <laughs> to the people who create up this, this deranged lunacy about about us. Um, uh, so yeah, anarchists did not create a system of death camps to kill Jews, gypsies, and Slavs in Europe. Uh, anarchists did not firebomb scopes of large German and Japanese cities and drop nuclear bombs on two of them. Anarchists did not carry out a great leap forward that killed scores of millions of Chinese. Anarchists did not attempt to kill everybody with any appreciable education in Cambodia. Anarchists did not launch one aggressive war after another. Anarchists did not implement trade sanctions that killed perhaps 500,000 Iraqi children. Uh, it's a pretty good list there. Yeah, you know what I think of when I think of Republicans? I think of people going on about anarchy and people going on about... Uh, you know, war being one of the greatest evils in the hundreds of thousands of deaths of American foreign policy. And, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a non PG 13 or higher rated terms to describe the people who would equate the Mises caucus with Republicans. Um, Yeah. It's especially ironic for me who, like, I literally went from a registered Democrat voting for Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton in 2015 and 2016 to then being a registered libertarian voting for uh, Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. Never been Republican in my life. I think I've only voted Republican once in a local election when there was no other. I, I once lived in this little tiny town that was so red that like in one of the local elections, there were no Democrats running in most of the positions. So I voted for the couple libertarians that were on the ticket. And then 
I didn't know much about the candidates, so I, you know, I was like, well, I don't know, like I could leave it blank or vote for them. They're the only one running. Doesn't make a difference. So I just voted for him. So I hardly think that makes me a closet Republican. Uh, so it's just, it's just silly. Very, very, very silly. Uh, do, 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 Oh, the, uh, I really like this meme. Um, or this, it, it, this is an old, it's, it's old, it's an old meme. So the original meme was a, a comic. Um, and, uh, I, I'm not going to do a screen share. Um, so it's a comic, uh, in the first quadrant of the comic, it's two people talking, like kind of cartoonish. And the one person is the faces, the Libertarian Party uh, emblem or, or a logo, and it says Libertarian Party on top of it, and then there's like a face integrated onto it. And the person talking to the Libertarian Party personified here says, well, I like you, he said, but I'm kind of scared of that guy in the next quadrant. The original version, of, so then after that, says, I don't even know that guy. And then the guy in the background being referenced is like saying, look at me, brother. And the Libertarian Party makes a sad, like embarrassed face. Um, but uh, the original version of this was just a guy holding an ANCAP flag because uh, they were like, you know, people kind of the joke that people like the Libertarian Party, but then they're like anarchists, anarcho-capitalists. And it's like, you know, they're the hardcore people in the Libertarian circles. But this meme went, even further and it's now it's not just ANCAPs but it's really it's just uh, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire and um, so um, they're the they're the stand in Libertarian Party's like I don't even know that guy but it's obviously they do um, you know the, the, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire is certainly an inter- interesting bunch of people I definitely think on some things they've been a little bit too critical of Dave Smith and the Mises caucus. There's other instances where I think that they've been fair in their criticisms and pushbacks over some of the things that have happened. Um, I view the libertarian party in New Hampshire as like the radicals of the radicals. They're sort of the tip of the spear who make the rest of us look normal to the non-libertarian voters and, and people we're trying to reach, you know, it's, it's like a, uh, it's kind of like a good cop, bad cop kind of thing. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think, sorry, there's sirens going on outside. Um, I, I definitely think that, uh, if I had my way, I would, you know, give the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire a little bit of a chill pill, but, uh, it also wouldn't be them if they, they did, if they took those. So I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where, like I was saying earlier, we need a diversity of strategy and, and voices and specialization. And, um, you know, I, I, I do wish the New Hampshire people would be more willing to be good teammates sometimes, um, you know, because I don't think it's a zero-sum game between having autonomy and being good teammates. And I think sometimes libertarians tend to be very, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just our mindset or... Um, or, or whatnot, but just, you know, they, they tend to, to view it as a zero-sum game. It's like I'm either I'm either an individualist or if I'm uh, forced to cooperate with people, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm 
we're not being libertarian. We're being forced into doing something. And I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's the case. I think you can be autonomous and, you know, social cooperation. That's, that's a libertarian virtue. I think we can, we can find ways, you know, I think, I think, uh, over time, you know, some of these, these disagreements and dramas over the past several months will be seen as growing pains and, um, you know, mistakes have been made, but th that's part of the course. And, you know, hopefully we learn from our mistakes and continue to grow and, um, as a movement and as a party. So, um, you know, this episode was definitely more LP focused than most of my episodes, but you know, that happens sometimes. And, um, you know, with the things going on right now, it just made sense to do that. So but that's it. So, um, I think I'm going to cut this episode here. Uh, I appreciate you all tuning in and watching, uh, tonight. Um, trying to get into the habit of doing a live stream every week or two. So, um, you know, the, this kind of format here, um, definitely Friday, um, I forget the time that it's either eight or nine o'clock. Definitely tune in to the Libertarian Christian Institute, uh, 300, 300th episode live stream celebration. Um, I'm going to be a part of that and then, uh, that episode and then the live stream I do after that will announce the, uh, you know, the, the cool project and, uh, thing that I've been teasing out for a little bit. So if you want to, you know, the, the link that I'm going to put in the description here, um, and, uh, if you want to click on that and, you know, save it so you can be notified, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So come watch that on Friday so you guys can see what's up. Other than that, appreciate you all tuning in and watching. Hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your evening and rest of your week. And I will talk to you later.